Part 3. What can we do to save our children? As the primary educators of their children, parents need to learn to let go. The authors insist that instead of planning everything for their kids, children need a degree of freedom, let them discover their own paths. Give them chances to complete tasks independently and learn from their mistakes, such as asking them to go to the shop down the street on their own. Encourage them to hang out with other kids. Allow them to walk to school, go to the parks and even a summer camp together with friends. Teach them about solidarity and sticking up for and supporting one another. If there is an argument, do not rush in to break it up. Let it play out so the children learn how to discuss, exchange their views, and resolve the conflict. Teachers can also adapt to support parents' efforts. For their part, they should cut down on unnecessary coursework assignments, especially for their students in lower grades allowing them more time for independent reading, refreshing rest, and renewal. The American Academy of Pediatrics noted in 2013 that children's cognitive ability and academic performance improve when lectures are punctuated with rest breaks. On top of this, reducing children's overall supervision is beneficial. The authors discourage parents from being too eager to solve their children's problems for them. They delight in a New Jersey elementary school's policy that allows for risky, unmanaged play. Children are allowed to climb trees, make up their own games, appraise risks on their own and bear the consequences of their actions. This has not only taught them social skills but also ways to resolve conflicts. A positive side effect has been a reduction in incidences of bullying. By not overprotecting their children, adults play a vital role in correcting the effect of the first bad idea. However, children themselves need to learn to fight the other two bad ideas. To counter bad idea 3, we need to instill children with empathy. Most importantly, parents need to teach them to be forgiving, staying open to constructive criticism instead of assuming the worst of others. Parents need to set a positive example when explaining how to interpret what other people say to their children. It is vital to try to focus on the best intentions and the sensible points, instead of antagonism and contentious ideas, in the things people say. Secondly, children need to learn to be humble. It is good to encourage them to own up to their mistakes and be grateful for criticism. Finally, we should encourage students to spot factional identity politics on campus and promote common humanity identity politics that pursues integration. Post-secondary institutions themselves also have an integral role to play in correcting bad ideas among students. Universities need to continuously reflect on the primary goal of education and propose ways to reform campus culture. Regarding this topic, Lukianoff and Haidt cite Alice Dreger, a professor at Northwestern University. She argues that scholarship must put the search for truth first and the quest for social justice second. Based on Dreger's approach, Lukianoff and Haidt suggest ways of bringing about college reforms. Firstly, university management should reassert their commitment to free speech, publish it as an official policy, and undertake to adhere to it with transparency, thus actualizing freedom of speech, academic freedom, and freedom of inquiry. In the same gesture, university presidents should step up to the mark, assert their stance and take drastic action against behaviors that disrupt free speech in the institution. Secondly, Lukianoff and Haidt propose universities prioritize the admission of mature students who have participated in military service. With hands-on life experience, these students tend to be more independent-minded than their younger colleagues, whose focus may have been solely on academic excellence. Students with life experience are more likely to contribute to a positive campus culture. 
universities should also factor in students' political leanings, just like ethnicity and gender, when considering campus diversity. Thirdly, universities have a responsibility to instruct and educate their students to counter false beliefs. It is up to the leaders of these institutions to stand firm in their positions, dissuading students from using words such as unsafe to encompass ideas that make them feel uncomfortable, and encouraging students to leave their safe bubbles and interact with diverse viewpoints around the campus. To help students combat negative emotions, schools should teach students critical thinking. They can counter common enemy identity politics immediately during student induction for the new semester by providing balanced instructional materials and organized campus activities. That concludes the content for part 3 and brings us to the end of the book. We have discussed several ways to save our children from invalid beliefs. It is imperative that adults learn to let go, instead of overprotecting children and trying to solve their problems for them. Parents and carers should encourage children to learn to be independent and discerning. Children can encounter flawed and destructive ideas at any time, but it is possible for them to learn to take a wholly positive approach. Empathy, forgiveness and the ability to own up to one's mistakes are powerful weapons against bad ideas. And, last but not least, universities need to be reformed, reasserting their pursuit of truth and free speech, alongside building a diverse, all-encompassing campus culture, steering students towards cooperative and creative thinking.